This morning we have the pleasure of having our overseer, Dwayne Detweiler, here with us this morning. Uh, Dwayne served as the senior pastor of Fairlawn Mennonite Church up in Apple Creek, Ohio, for a number of years and recently uh, turned that position over to a young man in his church, and he now serves part-time there in a, a different role as well as he owns his own coffee roasting company. And so uh, we are pleased to have Dwayne here with us. He's been meeting with our elders this weekend to work on some vision planning, and there'll be more that comes out about that later. Uh, but this morning, Dwayne is going to share with us from God's Word about the power of peacemaking. And so if you will bow your heads with me, I want to pray for Dwayne this morning. God, I just thank you for bringing Dwayne into our church family and allowing him to speak into our lives. And I pray this morning, as he opens your word, that you would guide him to speak truth, your truth, into our lives to help us, equip us to know how to make peace when there could be conflict there. And so I pray that you would bless him this morning, uh, embolden him, uh, and uh, help us to learn well from him. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Uh, it's been a real privilege uh, being with your leadership team this past weekend and just talking about vision, looking at the future and, and, and what God is doing here at Bethel uh, Mennonite Church. It's, it's really exciting, and, and I always enjoy meeting with leadership teams. Uh, the message this morning, the power of peacemaking, it, it, uh, it wasn't like Sean called me and said, look, we've got some issues at Bethel that need to be addressed um, there's some conflict. That That isn't at all uh, how this message came about. You know, at the beginning of 2020, um, we saw, I don't know if you saw it down here, uh, we saw conflict and people not understanding how to resolve differences and talk about uh, how they disagreed. And as I watched um, the church, it really in a lot of ways unraveled. And, and become angry with each other. I ask the question, what in the world is happening here? I mean, I thought, I thought as believers we were supposed to be like Jesus. I thought we were supposed to love each other and, and there should never be any conflict. Why, why can't we be more like the early church? I mean, when you think about the early church in Acts chapter 2, I mean, what a sweet picture we get of the church. You know, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles preaching and, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And they, they saw miracles happening. And, and it says that, that they agreed with each other. Um, they ate meals together. Uh, they enjoyed each other's uh, company with glad and sincere hearts, it says, they worshiped God, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I thought, you know, if my church would be like that, if, if they would be an Acts chapter 2 church, we could add to our numbers daily too. Why can't we be like the early church? But as you move on in the book of Acts, it doesn't take us very long to recognize we really are like the book of Acts. 
You get to Acts chapter 6, there's this debate that happens because there's a group of widows not being treated fairly. So the church has to, to get together and they have to have this conversation about how do we fix this? That conflict. We get to Acts chapter 15 and the Jerusalem Council. There's conflict. And Paul and Barnabas have to address this group of guys about, about whether they should circumcise or not circumcise. Paul and Peter had conflict. In Galatians chapter 2, it says, Peter, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul said, I opposed him to his face. So as I began to look at, uh, at the church, and especially the early church, you recognize fairly quickly that conflict was a normal part of their church. Actually, when you begin to read Paul's letters, most of Paul's letters that he wrote are dealing with conflict. But if we've been saved, if we've been sanctified, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, why is that the case? Why do we have conflict? Well, we are, although we have been saved, we are still very imperfect people on a journey of becoming more like Christ, a journey of sanctification. And as we journey through life as imperfect people, we will continue to fall short of being like Christ. This is a journey. The sanctification process is a lifelong journey. But as believers, we are called to walk this journey together. As imperfect people, we are called to walk together in love as we become more like Christ. And and conflict actually is something that strengthens our relationships. You see, the church isn't beautiful because we never have conflict. What makes a church beautiful is a group of imperfect people who make mistakes, who love each other in spite of their imperfection. And when imperfect people can live together in unity in the midst of our differences, in the midst of our conflict, it is a powerful testimony of what God is doing in our lives. It preaches the gospel. Peacemaking is powerful. But disunity also sends a powerful message to the world. Our inability to resolve conflict tells the world we're no different than they are. We have nothing to offer. And Paul knew that that disunity would, would give the church a black eye. And, and, and Paul often reminds the churches of this fact, 
of this, the importance of, of living in unity and, and working towards peace with one another. He says in Colossians chapter 3, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. We saw the prayer that the people in India pray that the Lord will forgive them as they forgive others. And he says, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, Paul says. In Ephesians, Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This morning, we want to go to Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives us a roadmap for what peacemaking looks like. In Philippians chapter 4, there's a, uh, apparently a dispute that two ladies are having. So in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, this is what Paul says. He says, I plead with you, Yodia, I plead with you, Sinki, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, local, you loyal Logue fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause for the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of our fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think on such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put them into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Pray with me. God, we see in your word a way towards peace. And these words that are written to us, may we take them to heart, learn and understand what you have for us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul wrote this at the, towards the end of Philippians um, because I think he realizes that this conflict between these two ladies had the potential to, 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 to damage the entire church. Because, and so Paul knew that this needed to be addressed. You see, when we have conflict between brothers and sisters um, in the body of Christ, it always impacts the church in a negative way. It always weakens our testimony. And Paul knew that, that this conflict that was happening was going to weaken their unity. It was going to weaken their, their, their testimony and their ability to, to, to witness and share the gospel. 
Actually, earlier, if you go back a couple of chapters to chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of Christ. He says, stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Our unity is essential as we move out, as we take the gospel to Sarasota, to our communities, to our world. The body of Christ has to be one. He says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, don't be selfish about anything. Don't do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look at your own interests, but at the interest of others, and your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. So, so, so a lot of this is about our attitude. And verse 2 here in Philippians, Paul says, Look, I plead with you, Yodia. I plead with you, Senki. Agree with one another in the Lord. So two times Paul says, I plead with you. Please, ladies, work it out. Resolve your conflict. And he says, Listen, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow. In other words, Look, rest of the church, you help in this. See, there's a responsibility we have as the church when we see people in conflict that we help them walk through that and resolve that conflict. Rather than stand around and talk about how bad it is, we help people to resolve it. Now, we don't know much about these two ladies uh, we know they were prominent women, uh, well-respected in their church. Um, we don't know what the dispute was. We're pretty sure that, that the dispute wasn't a doctrinal issue or, or Paul would have definitely um, addressed it. It was something personal. I don't know if it was the color of the carpet or, or how we decorate the bathrooms, but there was a conflict that was happening that was causing an issue. So Paul gives some instructions to us here. And Paul's solution is really very simple. It's very direct. And it's one that, that we can use today to, as, a, as, an, as a model for how we walk through conflict. And what I find interesting is that Paul focuses on our attitude. He focuses on the posture of our heart. Because approaching conflict really begins right here. It depends on the the attitude of our hearts and the state of our hearts. If we're going to be able to to navigate conflict in a a healthy way. You know, in, in the book of Romans chapter 12, Paul tells us, Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. But he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, if we want our hearts to be transformed, it begins with the renewing of our minds. If we want to renew our minds, we must be in the word. We must be allowing God to speak to us through his word 
as we meditate on his word, as we pray, that is how our minds are transformed. And then Paul says here in Romans, and then we'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. You see, resolution, peacemaking begins by our minds being transformed, which changes our hearts, which gives us a right attitude and enables us to know what God's will is. And so it really is interesting when I see Paul um, approaching this, this conflict by saying, it's a hard issue. He says in verse 4, okay, ladies, here's what you need to do. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, I say again. Now, when you first read that, What in the world does rejoicing have to do with conflict? I mean, how many of you rejoice when you're in conflict? I know I don't. But see, Paul isn't talking about the conflict. Um, What Paul is saying is, he says, rejoice in the Lord. I I think it's us remembering and being reminded that we have been saved by Christ. We have been made new creations in Christ Jesus. We have a lot to be thankful for and a lot to rejoice. And I need to to focus on on what God has done in my life. And I need to rejoice in the fact that he saved me and and he's made this imperfect person perfect who is on this journey of sanctification. And the more that I rejoice in my forgiveness and I appreciate my forgiveness, God begins to work in me. He grows my character. And in the process, I see people differently because I recognize my own sinfulness and my own need for a savior and how he continues to forgive me. And it should make my ability to forgive other people or to overlook other people's shortcomings I should be able to do that because I recognize my Jesus and what he's done for me. And I grow in character. I become more like Christ. And, and as I become more like Christ, as Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the Spirit begins to be evident in me. What are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things become evident in me. And gentleness is the next thing that Paul taught. He says, rejoice in the Lord. But then he also says, and let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident. Now, this word gentle means large-hearted, courteous, considerate. Describing a quality of a follower of Christ. Paul's saying, look, if you're a Christian, if you find yourself in conflict, my response should be a gentleness that other people can see. I read a book here a while back um, entitled Gospel Fluency. And there was, there was a, 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 a sentence in there that really grabbed me. It says, we should live our lives in such a way that a watching world demands an answer. In other words, when the world watches us as followers of Christ, 
um, interact with each other and deal with conflict and see us doing it in a way that, that our gentleness is evident to all, they should take a step back and it's like, what's different about them? Why are they like that? I need to know more about why they are able to do that. And when I read that, I asked the question, when people watch me, when they see me interact with people, especially when I'm, when I'm pressed, uh, you know, when I'm in conflict, do they say, there's something different about him? I wonder what it is. Do people see something different in us? So different that it demands an explanation. And that explanation is not, I'm a good person. I'm really good at conflict. That explanation is, no, Jesus has changed me. He has transformed me. It's because of Jesus that I can respond in a loving and gentle way. Paul says, in conflict, your gentleness should be evident Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer deflates anger, but a harsh word makes tempers flare. Does that describe the last couple of years? How often... Because what, what, what 2020 did, it just, it just revealed to us that we're not very good at talking through conflict. And we're more concerned about being right than we are about relationship. Proverbs says, a gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. Those gentleness calms people down. Aggressiveness just feeds the fire. So Paul says as we are as we look at our conflict, and maybe you find yourself in conflict this morning. I mean uh, you know, I don't know about you, but as, as a young dad, one of our biggest conflicts always happened on Sunday morning on the way to church. I don't know if any of you had that. Ryan, did you have that this morning? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but maybe you find yourself in conflict this morning. I have to ask myself a couple of questions. You know, as I'm in this, do, do I remember what Jesus has done for me and how he's changed my life and how he's forgiven me? Do I, um, is my gentleness evident as I'm interacting with this person I'm in conflict with? And then Paul says, the third, the third thing he says in this, as we address conflict, he says, replace your anxiety with prayer. He says in verse six, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. In this conflict you find yourself in, how often have you prayed? 
how often have you taken this, 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 this thing that you're in the middle of, which is an anxiety, and how often have you presented it to the Lord and said, Lord, here, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you take care of this. Lord, check my heart as I'm interacting, as I'm, as I'm dealing with this. And we give these things to the Lord. We, we, and you know, Paul's not just talking about trivial things, the deep things, the deep pains, the deep uh, disagreements we have. Paul says, don't be anxious about that. But present your requests to God. Allow Him to work in your heart. You know, my first overseer was a, uh, a wise man named Freeman Hosteller from Pleasant New Mennonite Church. And Freeman used to tell me, Dwayne, before you enter a conflict with, with anyone in the church, he says, you take two weeks to pray. One week to pray for yourself and your attitude towards this person that, that you're in conflict with. And you take one week to pray for the person you're going to be going to confront to prepare their heart and your heart for this interaction. You see, when we, when we place um, this at the feet of Jesus, when we place our focus on, on praying to God about this, it begins to change us. I think it, it changes our hostility, our anxiety, our inner conflict. And it begins to, to give me the ability to be gentle. But, but prayer isn't often um, the first thing we do when we're in conflict. It's the thing we do as a last resort. And you're just like, Lord, would you help them to see how wrong they are? Rather than, Lord, show me what's going on in my heart. And Paul says when we do that, when we, when, when we present our prayers and our petitions with thanksgiving to God, he says, and the peace of God, verse 7, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think the reason that we, we're, we're in so much turmoil and we have so much anxiety in the world today is, is because we're trying to do it on our own rather than beginning by taking it to Jesus and letting him take care of us and the attitude of the other person. And when we do that, it begins to create an inner peace in us, an inner peace in me. And then, it, then that transcends and, and the person we're in conflict with begins to feel and sense the peace that we have, the love that we have. And oftentimes it begins to change them as well and their attitude. And when we're able to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ, it brings glory to our God. Peacemaking prayer.
preaches the gospel. Peacemaking tells the world we are different. But peacemaking also is, I do some mediation and, and, so I always tell people that, that, that we're working with is, is reconciliation is a process, not an event. In other words, we often want, look, we just want to have one meeting with this person. We, we, we say, I'm sorry. We work it through, and then it's all over. We move on. But it's a journey that we take. When we find ourselves in deep conflict, it's a journey that we are on. And it begins by, as we pray and we we seek God, it helps us to see things as they really are um, and not imagine things. In other words, when I find myself, uh, you know, Verda and I will once in a while have conflict, Um and if we don't resolve it, what happens is uh, I begin to think things about her. I bet she's thinking this. I bet she thinks I'm really dumb. I bet she thinks she's going to do this. She, and I begin to imagine and formulate things in my mind that she's not even thinking. But I have allowed myself, my, my, I've allowed my mind to wander in and just begins to just tell me, the devil begins to tell me things that are completely untrue. Where when I stop and I, I say, Lord, uh, we, we've got this issue. Um, help me to see it from your perspective. It helps me to develop an accurate view of the person I'm in conflict with. We can think about the good parts of, of the people we're in conflict with, the things that, because Paul said, he says, he says, brothers, um, think on the things of what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is admirable, what is excellent and praiseworthy. And when we're in conflict with our spouse, those are not the things we focus on, that she is noble and pure and, lovely and admirable. But when my heart, there again, remember, reconciliation begins in the heart. And when I am presenting these things to God, I get a right perspective of the person that, that I am in conflict with. Helps me to see them for who they really are. Helps me to see them the way Jesus sees them. And so a right heart helps me to get a right perspective. Now, does this mean that we just overlook all sin or anything? If somebody sins against us or somebody um, is doing something wrong, do we just let it go and just love them and think the best of them? Is that what Paul is saying? I don't think so because Paul also tells us that, that if someone is caught in sin in Galatians chapter 6, he says, it's caught in sin. You who are spiritual should restore them gently. So there is this place for us to, to confront um, sin. 
but it still is done with, with a right attitude. Because he says there in verse 2 of Galatians, he says, carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill the laws of Christ. So there is this place where we need to confront sin, but it should still be done with much love and grace. And so as the body of Christ, we need to be really conscious of the conflicts we find ourselves in. And we need to be very careful how we navigate that. We need to see people as they really are. Um, and we need to work hard at resolving this conflict. And one of the things that 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 I that I have seen in the last couple of years that I see often is uh, because of our, our unwillingness to um, to hit conflict head on in a in a loving, caring way. Uh, because there's there's this a fight or flight type of mentality that we have. One is a stand up and I fight for my rights. The other one is flight. I run from um, from issues. I see people run from their marriages because they're not willing to to um, deal with conflict. I've seen a lot of this in the last two years. People run from their churches thinking they're going to find another church that, that doesn't have conflict, that this perfect place that's just like... Um, and so they run, from, they run from relationships that were really beautiful. They leave beautiful relationships because they're unwilling to talk about conflict. I see people leaving friendships because they have to be right. They have to be right. And there's no room to have conversation about how we disagree and and how we can move forward as, as friends. We leave jobs. We leave partnerships in, in business because we're not willing to um, to work through the hard, to do the hard work of reconciliation so we lose some really beautiful relationships because of it. And we miss an opportunity to show the world that we are different. You know, we miss an opportunity to, to, to preach the gospel, to, to resolve um, differences to strengthen relationships because we're not willing to, to engage in the hard work, the process of reconciliation. But when we're willing to do the hard work of reconciliation, when we're willing to to, to humble ourselves, you know, the book 
you know, the, the text that, that, that Sean read this morning talked about humility. You know, when we're willing to humble ourselves and go to the people that we love, the people that we have relationship with, and we find ourselves at different places, some really beautiful things can happen. And so I hope this morning, if you find yourself in, in a situation where you're experiencing conflict, unresolved um, issues, I hope you take some time to pray about that and ask the Lord, how, what are some ways that we can begin to restore that relationship? You know, I'm, I'm sure there were some people, there's some people here this morning who, who over the last two years have been hurt because um, some people you dearly loved have left this church. And you're kind of sour and angry at them. Maybe it's time to think about how you can begin to restore that relationship. You know, maybe you're here, you came here to, to, to Bethel because uh, of something that happened at the church you were at. And you, you never resolved what drove you away from there. Maybe today is the day that you can begin to say, Lord, how do I begin this journey of restoring this beautiful relationship that I once had. Maybe today is the day that you begin a hard but beautiful journey towards reconciliation. And I would guarantee you that it will be worth every ounce of effort you put into making peace with that person that you once had relationship. And it will preach the gospel. It will tell the world you are different. The world will demand to know what makes you different. That's what we are called to. To be different to be people of peace, to be people who love each other in spite of our differences. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, um, I just want to lift up the people in this who are sitting here this morning. Look, none of us are here by accident today. But right now there are there are people going through the minds through our minds that that you're beginning to prompt and and, and invite us into um, beginning a journey of of, of uh, reconciliation. Father, first of all, I pray just for your Holy Spirit to, to show us those people. I pray that you would show us how to engage in that conversation. 
whether it's a spouse, a coworker, a brother or sister in Christ that uh, we have a relationship with, a friend, Lord, would you give us the courage, the wisdom, um, the gentleness to begin that journey, whether it's picking up the phone or sending a text message. Would you help us to begin that journey of restoring a relationship? And Lord, that through this, through um, that restoration, that peacemaking that happens, you would be glorified. Your name would be lifted up. And a watching world would demand an answer for the peace that we have and the reconciliation that we're experiencing. It's in Christ's name we pray.